This week on Ghost Guy Daniel. Was Emma Byrons a bootlegger? Just finishing up with a very interesting woman. Then, didn't know you'd need a psychic realtor? Didn't ya? Well, you do. Well, I wrote an article. Yes, I know you'd want to read an article written by somebody who says wrote's. You got it. Uh, Emma's Back Porch, uh, which I featured on last week's show. So I actually went through and I wrote an article based on it because when I did the show last week, I was like, this is a really interesting person, Emma Byrons, who um, Emma's Back Porch is named after. Uh, She's the one who opened the original restaurant in the 1870s house that is currently in trouble of being demolished. So when I I went through the show, I was amazed at the very interesting woman that this Emma was. And I had heard rumors. Uh, Somebody had sent me some information. Thank you so much to Christy Jeffrey for sending in. I guess she's just, uh, I assume she's from Burlington and just had all this wonderful information, these rumors that she had heard over the years. So she opened up some doors for me, and uh, she mentioned one thing. Well, first, the first thing of two things that I want to mention as an update here was that uh, there was these rumors that Emma Byron's was a bootlegger. We don't know. I'm sure everybody does. During the time known as Prohibition, this is in the 1920s, alcohol was banned. Now, it was banned first in the United States, which means that the bootleggers rose up here to provide alcohol to the American bootleggers. So this is where the connection between our own Rocco Perry, who's like the Al Capone of Southern Ontario, and the real Al Capone, the Al Capone of Chicago. This is where that connection comes from, because the alcohol was coming out of Canada, uh, Rocco supposedly supplying it, A funny little side note, they actually asked Al Capone once in an interview, they were like, do you know anything about this fellow in Canada, this guy in Canada? They were talking about Rocco Perry. They didn't say his name. And Al Capone said a very Al Capone thing. He said, I don't even know what street Canada's on. And I I thought that was just absolutely amazing. But no, they did have a connection, 100%. So Rocco Perry wasn't the only bootlegger that was operating. And this is where the connection comes in. So think of Emma Byron's and her husband, George. They opened up the uh, Estaminamine. I don't have the thing open (laughs) to remind me how to pronounce it. But their restaurant back in the early 1900s, French, quote unquote, uh, the word is French for bistro or cafe. So they open it up. And this is before Prohibition. This is actually right at the time that alcohol is being banned. So then you, you, you make that question, would they take advantage of the bootlegging during this entire time? And the answer is 100% yes. There's no proof on this, but I believe 100% yes. So then you got to look into it, right? And you got to see if there's a connection between theirs. And there was this great video that was sent to me. Uh, I'll plug the uh, person who did it if you want to go look it up. It's referenced in the article 
the Emma's Back Porch article that I wrote, uh, which is currently at ghostwalks.com. And her name is Nicola Thompson. So if you go to uh, ghostwalks.com, you scroll down, you'll see the area that has the articles and the podcast episodes and such and such. You'll see Emma's Back Porch at the very, very top there. Uh, just go in, scroll to the bottom of that article, and you'll see the reference area. It's the third reference link goes to YouTube video. And she gave a whole bunch of wonderful information. I 100% trust her because the details she went into, the way she talked about it, you could tell that she had done her research because it was like very detailed. Uh, she you know, had receipts to back it up, uh, which is rare in this situation because unfortunately, as the uh, term says, the waters were muddied with a lot of false information. It will remain nameless. But let's just say there's a lot of false information out there, which I'll come to another fact in a moment that proves that. But yeah, no, uh, if, if there's a connection, which there is, thanks to Nicola and her research, uh, the connection is a fellow named Ben Kerr. So her husband, Emma Byron's husband, is George Byron's. George Byron had a sister. George's sister was married to Ben Kerr, a.k.a. Bensley Kerr. Now, who is Ben Kerr? He is the second most known bootlegger, rum runner, in Hamilton history. So if you're not from the area, the uh, city of Burlington, where Emma's back porch is, directly beside it, just across the water, you can see from the waterfront or beside it, the landmass, is the city of Hamilton. And Hamilton is very well known for its mafia roots. It's the place where I was born and raised, place where I do a ton of my tours, including the Hamilton's Dark History Tour, which talks in detail about the rise and fall of Rocco Perry and his common-law wife, Bessie Starkman. So I've been so focused on Rocco Perry as being the main guy. To be honest, over the years, I never even went through to who was this competition. Because if you're making a ton of money and something, you're always going to have competition. And in this case, it was Bensley Kerr, Ben Kerr. He was the second most known rum runner slash bootlegger of the time. And he is the brother-in-law of George Byron's, who his wife is Emma Byron's, Emma's back porch. So when you say whether Emma took part in procuring illegal booze, to sell to her patrons in a time that she was trying to build her restaurant. I mean, just think about it. She opened a restaurant, I believe, in 1919. In the 19, early 1920s, that's when Prohibition starts. They take her one thing. I mean, people want to come to this restaurant where there's only four tables, and they want to, they want to drink alcohol. So how can a restaurant survive when the government steps in and, and takes away a big part of going to restaurants for some people, especially fancy French restaurants? You need that alcohol. You need that wine, for example, or those fancy French beers. I don't know. Is there any fancy French beers? So it, to say that, you know, to have that connection there, and when Ben goes to get his, his booze from the distillery district in Toronto and is coming back to the Hamilton Harbor fronts to store it into his known vault, of course. I mean, he had he had boats. Of course he's going to stop at Estenanamine, uh, you know, Emma's restaurant and drop off some booze. So just like Nicola says in her video, I think it's more likely than not. It just makes sense. You add a little logic to it, makes complete sense. So that an that answers that question. Now what's the other thing? I, I had promised I'm going to I'm going to mention how the the waters were muddied 
And the one thing is this, this, this rumor, this crazy rumor going around that Emma and George had five children and that uh, two of the kid ghosts inside of Emma's back porch were two children that uh, belonged to Emma and George that died at a young age. I believe the names were uh, Robert and Sarah. So this story, this rumor, it's a better word, rumor, starts permeating that there was five children, so two of them died at a young age. There was even details. Uh, one died of pneumonia at four years old, and the second one died uh, slipping off of a rock at the waterfront. I guess he hit his head, and he was six years old, I believe. So then these ghost stories of seeing children inside the building, uh, especially down in the basement. Uh, one of the stories I featured in the article that I wrote at ghostwalks.com, shameless plug. So it talks about this child, uh, supposedly it's Robert, that was seen in the basement. Uh, I don't know if Sarah had been seen anywhere in the building at all. There's no stories about her. But again, it's all false. Now, that's not to say that the little kid in the basement doesn't exist and that the uh, the employee was a dishwasher, remained nameless, who experienced this little kid didn't have a true experience because it's, it's an old building, right? So there's a good chance that there was other children who lived inside there, not lived, sorry, who were inside there. I'm sure some stuff had happened in the past. I mean, it's a long history. But it's not Emma and George's kid. So Emma and George had one son. That's it. And this is going to get confusing. So the son, his name is Foster. Uh, He eventually became a chef. And the year 1924, he got married to a woman. The name was mentioned by Nicola. I don't remember it, uh, but we'll call her the maid because she was a maid inside the building. So he's a chef. She's a maid. And at the same time, it is said that Emma had a daughter. Now, keep this in mind. 1924. You got to think about the timeline here. Her son Foster is in his early 20s. And they're saying that Emma Byron's, who has a 20 year old son, now just had a daughter 20 years after the son. And if you look at the gravestone, which is a featured image on the in the article, you'll see the confusion there. Because when you do the math, you realize that Emma Byron's was 49 years old when this this daughter um, Nonita, Nonita is her name. When the daughter Nonita was born, Emma was 49 years old. And I mean, nowadays, maybe this is possible. I think, uh, Jennifer Lopez, was it her? She had a, a baby in her fifties, but that's with science. You know, it's going back to the early 1900s. There's no major science when it comes to fertility. So it'd be very unlikely that Emma and George had a daughter 20 years after their son was born like why would they even do that it doesn't make any sense so what is the thought process here the thought process is that emma only had one son foster and that foster and the maid had a daughter because get this nonita was born on the same year that foster and the maid were married so i mean if you use the logic again and again this is coming from nicola thompson check out that video that uh, Emma and George told the world that Nonita was their daughter because they wanted to avoid the shame of Foster and his wife uh, getting her pregnant before they were married. And then they were married, and I assume they raised that daughter as, as much as they could. 
because unfortunately Foster, he died at a young age. I'm not sure about the wife because she's not buried with the family, which is strange. I don't know, does anybody know what happened to them? But yeah, you see the gravestone. It's uh, Emma, George, Foster, and Nonita, but no wife. Yeah, I mean, there's a story there. There's 100% a story there. I, I, I might look into it, maybe add it as an update. If anybody knows anything, what happened to Foster's wife, please let me know. Again, you, you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can just comment on the podcast page. Just go to ghostwalks.com. You scroll down, you'll see the podcast that I'm, I'm on right now. You just go in and you just comment in there. That's the easiest way. So yeah, uh, the, 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 the daughter born same year as it got married, saying it's Foster and the wife. Now, what happens after this? I, I know Nonita lived a, a long life. She died at the age of 87 years old. So if you look at the gravestone, you can see that she actually died in 2011, which really isn't that long ago. It's cool that you had that familial connection existing even then. So lived a long life, but her father, unfortunately, did not. He died in 1941. So she was only, what, maybe 17 years old. Uh, he died in a car accident on the QEW. Uh, so he, you know, she didn't get to live with him most of his life. Now, also lost her grandparents. Uh, Emma was the last one to die in 1959. So she actually outlived her son. Emma died, what is that, about 18 years after her son tragically died in that car accident. But then Nonita put them all to shame and lived a, a huge, amazing life. So yeah, no, I'm not sure what happened to the wife, but uh, we know for sure that it wasn't five children. That, that was the point of this whole thing. So it was just the one child, potentially the two, but again, I think that's their granddaughter. And that was it. So Robert and Sahara, Sarah, do, do not exist. And for that reason, we're not sure who those two kids are supposedly haunting the Emma's back porch house. So I saw this article and I thought it was quite interesting because it's, it's not the first I've ever heard of it. Uh, this is from the Toronto Star, and the article writer, the journalist, is Philippa Pajevic. hope I pronounced that, Philippa Pajevic. and this is written for, the, again, the Toronto Star, and it features a realtor. Now, you're probably wondering, why would a realtor be featured in a Toronto Star article? It's because he says he's not only a realtor, but he's also a psychic. Yeah, I don't know. If you, if you never really lived the life I lived in the paranormal, if you've never been an investigator, you might be wondering why the hell would you put those two things together? Doesn't make a, a lot of sense, right? Because if you're a realtor, you're selling houses, you're buying houses, et cetera, et cetera, why would you need to be psychic? And this comes to that idea of the haunted house. Now, if you've been on my tours before, you've probably heard me talk about this constantly talked about it during the bus tour as part of the Dundurn Castle event evening uh, in relation to the Bellotti House on Hamilton Mountain. But it's the idea that if you're looking to buy a house and by chance it's haunted, which, you know, in Canada is more rare, but if you go to places like England, for example, go to London, and the history that they have and the violence that had occurred and some of these houses are two three four hundred years old you're going to want that 
you're going to want to know whether the place is haunted. In fact, they actually have a line, which I think is in Canadian documents now too, that talk about that. They don't really call it ghosts. They call it uh, psychological stigma. So to say that you need a psychic to come in and read a house before you go in, I personally believe you don't. Because I think if you go into a house with an open mind and you're not just like quickly trying to get an offer in, which nowadays seems to be more common than not, if you can go in and you kind of feel the place, go in multiple times if you can, go in when it's uh, nighttime and daytime, and you go in and you feel the place, you know, you sit, sit on the chair for a bit, even though it's not your chair, you sit down and you feel it. You go, you close your eyes, you feel, could I live here? Does it feel comfortable? Because some places they don't. Some places have a very active energy, a very restless energy. And whether you believe it's a conscious spirit or just residual energy that's left over from the past is something bad happened in the house, like somebody was killed or people died. I mean, if you're in a historic house, you can almost guarantee that people died inside that house, especially if it's in a time before um, people would be taken to the hospital. They just, you know, die in their bed in their home. They'd also hold the wake there. Like the wake and the funeral will be inside the house too. So you have energy from that as well. So you go inside, you sit down, you feel it. And you see if it's a place that, you know, feels comfortable to you. I lived in a historic house and I did that. And it was very comfortable. And people who came over commented how comfortable it felt. So to say that you don't need a psychic, I say you don't really. Because you're going to be the one who lives there. So if it feels comfortable for you, then that's all you need to know. But if the place does have a haunting and this kind of thing bothers you, then having a psychic realtor like Larry Medina would be a good idea. But not everybody agrees. So this article kind of goes into both sides of it. It gives a little history. It's a very well-rounded article. And it talks about this fellow named Larry Medina. So he is a real estate agent in the city of Toronto. Uh, Toronto is the biggest city in Canada. It is a beautiful city. It is also a very expensive city. And it's been hit hard by the recent downturn in real estate. If you don't know, if you're not from Canada, uh, Canada is currently, in my opinion, quote unquote, in a real estate bubble. And I do say this, I know real estate values have gone up all over the world, but I believe Canada is unique in the way it's gone up. And um, uh, Pierre Polyev, he's the conservative candidate for prime minister who's going to go up against Justin Trudeau in the next election, whenever that might be. Uh, he's been releasing a lot of videos talking about this in detail. And I, I, I believe what he's saying. I mean, it does make sense. But Canada is one of the highest. I think Portugal is the is the only other one that's up there. And it's by a long shot with how fast the value, quote unquote, value of our houses have gone up. And I, I believe it because it's ridiculous seeing some of the houses, especially close to Toronto, like a house that only 10 years ago would have been one third the price is now, you know, like a million dollar house. It doesn't make sense. And when something doesn't make sense, uh, feasibly to what's around it, it, it's it's almost like you're living in a bubble. You can't see inside and out. You're just kind of in the middle of it. And I do believe this is the case. I'm not sure when the bubble is going to burst or if the bubble ever bursts, but we did have a bit of a, a dip 
because of the interest rates going up. So what's happening is the most expensive area, Toronto, is more difficult, actually everywhere. I'll just say everywhere. Uh, Real estate is not selling anywhere in Southern Ontario as fast as it used to because nobody wants to lock in at these insanely high interest rates, which makes complete sense. I myself, I'm dreading when the time comes that I have to renew my mortgage, which is not too far down the pipe. But you got these real estate agents. I'm sure a ton of them started up during the crazy times before it that led to the bubble. I mean, you're looking at a three-bedroom house in Toronto that's now worth $1.5 million. Just imagine, you, you take only 3%, 4%, and you're making a huge profit. So I'm sure tons of people jumped into the real estate market to become a realtor. I'm not one of them, but I'm sure tons, maybe somebody listening can relate to that. And all of a sudden you have this this dense competition. So when the time comes that people stop buying currently, which is what is happening, then now there's just this, um, this fight, especially for the ones who just started out. So it doesn't say in here, I don't think it says in here how long Larry Medina was a real estate agent for. Okay, I just looked at it. And please know I don't set this stuff up. Just so you know, but I'm, I'm absolutely right here. Uh, I found his LinkedIn page and it says that he became a real estate agent in November of 2020. You guys know what was going on during that time? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, the, the uh, interest rates were dropped. And because it was the pandemic, I believe house prices maybe dipped a little bit before spiking again. And for that reason, a lot of people got into real estate. He looks like he's one because he got in November 2020. So he's only been in for about three years or so. So again, I mean, this this makes me think, this makes me now wonder, <laughs> is this just for um, press? Is he just doing it because everybody's scrambling now? And again, Larry Medina, if you ever do hear this, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm only saying that that's uh, my opinion. So anyway, uh, he is a psychic realtor. Uh, let's dive into the article a bit. So Medina, he sees the things that the normal naked eye could not. His lingering energy, called it, of a home's late owner. Uh, quote, I'm wondering if the owner suffered from dementia. So he's talking about a house that exists in High Park, which is the large, it's like the Toronto Central Park. So he says, I'm wondering if the owner is suffering from dementia because my head feels really light and kind of spacey, he said. He says the house uh, believed he believed it was a haven for its former inhabitant, and he suspects that the spirit has attached itself to this. So it's an expensive house, $1.3 million, saying there's a ghost attached to it. I don't know if that helps or hurts the value. It would hurt it for most people, including myself. I would want a ghost discount for a house like that. So he sends the presence. Uh, he calls in his spiritual team. So he actually has a team. Uh, and this team, you might be thinking, oh, it's like investigators or something. No, uh, these are dead people. So his team is dead people. So his guardian and ancestral spirits, spiritual gatekeepers, uh, says it will help him uncover any hidden portals and communicate with energies that have passed on. Now, keep you thinking that he could just be talking through his butt? That's not the case. I've heard this before. Legit psychics, they do talk about this kind of stuff. Like legit psychics have their own friends on the other side who can feed them information. 
So I do believe that completely. So uh, he would be standing there with his eyes closed. He chants some stuff. And this team is his spiritual team gets the gets the work. And uh, they, they do an energy reading of the property. So when it was done, they actually say that the news is discomforting. A uh, team tells him that the spirit won't easily relinquish the home, uh, which was listed just a few days before, $1.3 million. But Medina says, don't worry. No reason to be disheartened. <laughs> just leave it. Because it says that uh, the spirit's not going to cause him any problems. And this, again, I do believe that to be true as well, that you can go into a house that's haunted, which most of the older houses are, and not really have any problems with the spirit. Like the spirit's really restless, for example, you're going to feel it. Certain parts of the house are just not going to feel right to you. You're going to feel anxiety and dread when you're inside that room, especially with the lights off. So for that reason, you know, you feel that in certain parts of the house, it might be a place that you want to avoid because you don't want to be feeling discomfort inside of your home. Nobody wants that, especially if you're spending $1.3 on it. Probably wasn't a big house, too, because it's such a beautiful area. So in the end, he's like, oh, I think you should buy it. I, I just I, I question that because he is the realtor. He's going to make a ton of money if the client buys it. But it's like, just leave the spirit. He's not going to cause you any problems. I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows if the the ghost was even there? Uh, just said a former owner is not giving any specific details about the person, but I'd be interested to know more if there's any other information out there. But I'm not going to dive into that right now. So Medina is one of a handful of realtors across North America uh, who's providing the real estate services called with a mystical touch. So there's more out there. Now, if you want to go check him out, you can follow him as well. Uh, his Instagram handle is psychicrealtor underscore Larry. I think he has like 1,200 followers, something like that. And you can actually see he, he records himself going into these places and doing readings. So you can see that in action. I might check it out myself. But it gives a little bit of a history on the fella. He's 43 years old now. Uh, he says he first realized that uh, something unusual was happening to him uh, all the way back when he was five years old. So he'd get awoken in the night by spirits seeking his help. Now, he had uh, very Catholic parents. They were not impressed with this. Uh, he quoted as saying uh, they were like, oh, interesting. Let's pray for you. So <laughs> being raised in the Roman Catholic religion, I completely understand this. I'm surprised an exorcism hasn't been done on me with all the times I've tried to communicate with the other side, which they're very much against. Not saying I'm wholly Catholic today, but uh, back in the day when I was younger, I was still into this kind of stuff, and it was frowned upon. But it, it, just like me, it didn't stop him. Uh, he just, uh, it's, it's almost like his parents didn't want anything to do with it. Now, as for most of his youth... He tried to ignore these abilities. He didn't really communicate with the other side until he was 15 years old, and then he kind of got into the occult. Now, I, I can relate with this as well because it looks really cool. I mean, he's, he's not too far off of my age, so around the same time, the movie like The Craft, you know, all these mystical movies with younger people in it getting released, these shows, and it looked kind of cool. So I can I can understand that, you know, getting into the occult 
studying people like Aleister Crowley, for example, and the spells and magic and manipulating spirits and, and all that fun stuff, it's very alluring. And so, yeah, he said he got into Wicca, but uh, in the end, he couldn't really relate fully with that belief system. It doesn't seem like he's going on the right path here. He's not really getting to the point of being psychic, and it would take uh, over twice the time. So he's 15 years old when he dives into the occult, but it isn't until he's 32 years old that he's at a party hosted by his brother, and across the room, he catches the eye of a stranger. So this stranger, this woman, just approaches him, just comes up with like recognition on her face. And according to him, that uh, she knew he had abilities. She she must have seen his aura or something. And that she ur- urged him not to neglect these abilities. So then uh, shortly after this, what did Medina do? You're like, did he become a realtor? No, as I mentioned, he was only became a realtor, according to his LinkedIn page, about three years ago at the beginning of the pandemic. No, he enrolled in a local psychic school. And for a whole year, it says he honed his skills. Now, what is a psychic school? I've actually worked with these. I love the idea. absolutely adore the idea of these psychic schools. So you have a very experienced psychic who brings in a bunch of budding psychics, like students, and has the belief that you can, you can, like anybody can become a psychic if they hone those skills. And they go to haunted places, they do investigations, they do spells, they do rituals, whatever it might take. And the students, they, they, they pick up on these sensitivities, right? How they feel, how they might change the space around them, how to delve deep into the natural energies that surrounds all of us right now. Most of us, we ignore this. Uh, skeptics, for example, they ignore it all the time. In fact, according to skeptics, there is nothing spiritual in the world. But I, I would like to say is like, what, what are you then? If we're just vibrating atoms, what is that? That's energy. We're energy. All of reality is this, this messed up scenario of energy. So to say that uh, energy doesn't exist is ridiculous. And uh, by saying that ghosts don't exist is to say that energy doesn't exist. And there's all these unseen things around us. They won't even sense it. They'll just shut it down. It's the same type of closed-mindedness that uh, you know certain folks have with like cults, for example. You know, you close off your mind is like, this is my belief. Everything else is ridiculous. I've been dealing with that for many, many years. Canada, a very secular country. Anyway, I'm not going to do it because I've talked about that way too much. So he goes in, he hones his skills, and it eventually leads him to being real estate. I assume, I mean, these things do not need to be connected to say that I'm not saying that Larry Medina isn't a psychic. I, I believe it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at his biography here and it seems to make sense to me you know having some experience when you're young and eventually rediscovering it later a lot of psychics have gone down that path so i do believe that but being a psychic realtor i mean he didn't have to you can you can be a psychic and a realtor and not connect those two sides you know what i mean so i do believe that the idea that things are tough now and that there's not enough houses being sold, that using this to his advantage makes sense. And again, he could be a legit psychic, which, you know, kind of seems like he is. But using it, like putting them together to get some press, 
you know, you got to do it. It's your livelihood, right? Uh, so one example here is a, a late Wednesday, or sorry, on a Wednesday, Medina walked into a condo that was for sale near Wesley and Station. Uh, he did an energetic assessment. This is what he calls when he goes in and reads the place. And this was all recorded on his Instagram page. So if you want to see these in action. And uh, yeah, he's well known for doing it. So he went into this building and in a condo, he said there was a lot of anxious energy in the building, anxious and claustrophobic, which makes sense. And again, this isn't me saying he's fake, but I, I see that. And I was like, you live in a condo in a very busy area of Toronto where you have to spend a ton of money to have this place in the first part. And then you're also feeling claustrophobic because my guess is most condos in those areas are quite small. So it makes sense. The anxious energy from people who've lived there in the past who had to pay those insane fees, mortgage fees, condo fees, you know, trying to make a go of it in the big city of Toronto, which I would never personally do. But yeah, no, that's those those energies make sense. Now, are there people who don't believe in him? For sure. Uh, reactions to his claimed abilities, they run the, the gamut, uh, good to bad to brutal. Uh, some real estate peers, who I'm sure are unhappy with him getting this this free free press here, uh, they taunt him, and they use words like fraud or fake. Now, he's not aware that not everybody's going to approve with this chosen path, which makes sense. Uh, he sees the backlash as in, indicative of where the critic, critics are in his own spiritual journey. Again, I can relate to this because skeptics have constantly put me down for my belief over the years tends to come a lot from private tours that I lead for some reason. I don't know, maybe I'm just a good, good target. But then there are people on the other side as well. In my life and in Medina's life, uh, people who swear by his services, uh, one is uh, Jill uh, Schoenhofer, as an investor, says Medina offers something unique when it comes to assessing properties. Quote, he is very knowledgeable about the housing market and intuitive. That's actually a good point when you think about it. Uh, having intuition of the energies around you also as a psyche you can kind of read when things are changing in the market itself that's a good point you see even if he's not a full-fledged psychic who can read spaces just the fact that he's looking into it and he's honed his skills a certain amount i think give him an advantage when it comes to natural human intuitions that we've lost over the years so uh, she says that she's never worked with a realtor who has um, like where he can physically walk into a space and sense if the energy is bad. So it's not just ghosts, but that it's, you know, it's a bad investment, for example. Something about the place doesn't feel right. It could be on a level of, you know, there's something mechanically wrong with this place and having a deeper intuition, which I highly recommend for everyone listening and in the world to hone your intuitions don't call it psychic if you don't want to believe in that just call it natural intuition it's very important and perhaps no one sings his praises quite like his own boss if you look his name up he is he works for uh, rare real estate inc r-a-r-e and he has a boss there and get this her name is stephanie king is this the setup I don't know. Anybody know her? You tell me this is her real name. If you don't know, Stephanie is the female version of the name Stephen. <laughs> so her name is, she's the female Stephen King, 
which you know hiring a psychic realtor kind of makes sense when when your name is basically the same as the greatest horror writer who ever lived so she sings his praises saying quote larry is really a unique individual in all his best ways he's super fun he's super outgoing and he knows what he's talking about and he does it in such a way that makes his client feel at ease that is one of the most general statements i've ever heard in my life didn't even mention the psychic stuff i mean this is really asking a, a politician to describe someone and they have to say a nice thing about that person even if they don't they don't feel it this is what this is what they would say so it's interesting um that's that's all i'm going to cover really in the article because a lot of this is just kind of repeat information i'm going to check out his instagram page uh, if you guys want to I'll, I'll say the name again here psychic realtor underscore larry that's on instagram go check it out uh, and uh, support him as you see that way if you if you dive in a little bit deeper i think as you hear him speak as he does these energy readings you might get an idea whether he's a real psychic or not uh, definitely come in and post uh, and i'd love to hear from you on this but as a side note i will state that originally i wasn't going to do the facebook discussion group but i have reopened it I probably won't be in there every single day, just so you know, maybe once a week I'll go in and kind of check on updates and whatnot. But if you want to check that out, just go on, do a search for GG Daniel Podcast, and you'll come up with that page. You join the discussion. I have it completely open. So if anybody wants to come in and post anything, feel free. I'll post uh, updates, a little behind the scenes stuff. Of course, links to the podcast episodes uh, go up there every Wednesday once the show is you know, posted. Uh, so yeah, you know, check that out. GG Daniel podcast on Facebook, and I'll do a lot of information through there. It is another way to get a hold of me. I will, like I said, check those out every every week or so. But that that's basically the show, everyone. Again, if you want to support me very easily, uh, just give me a review. If you haven't done it yet, you don't even have to say anything. Just uh, post a star review. Uh, you know, five star would be lovely. Less than that. I might hate you for a bit, but eventually I'll accept you as uh, a peer, an acquaintance. <laughs> but I'll be very appreciative. I will tip my hat to you, sir or madam, just for the fact that you took the time. I very, very appreciate it. It helps me out. It, it tells me I'm doing a good job. It keeps me moving forward. And I'll keep doing these episodes. If I don't get any reviews, I, one day I might wake up in the morning and be like, oh, life is dark and chaotic. And I feel sad and I, I can't do the show today <laughs> because I didn't get my review and it's all your fault and I will I will be very upset and I will cry myself to sleep that later that night. Not like how I do it today, but like a real cry, real strong. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you next week.